Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day, and we're glad you joined us here for the conversation. We're exploring the book of 1 John and learning how to walk in light, walk in love. Now let's join Kurt for today's episode. Welcome back, friends. We are in our last episode of our study of the book of 1 John. Uh, we, uh, Boy, I, I don't know about you, John, but I, I have just so much enjoyed uh, the study of the book of First John. I'm a little bit disappointed that there's not a like a book in the Bible called First Kurt. And I, feel, I feel like you've kind of had the upper hand during this entire study. Yeah, I understand. I think of the Gospel of John, First, Second, Third John. Yeah, that's enough. That's enough. <laughs> John the Baptist. I'm not even Kurt the Methodist. I mean, come on. But uh, we are in First uh, John chapter five and verse twenty-one. I'm sorry, verse sixteen. Twenty-one is the last verse. We'll get there. Look at look at verse sixteen, if you would. Uh, if any man see his brother sin, a sin which is not unto death. So obviously in in the Christian life, we live in community. So we live among other believers. We are to be faithful to our local churches. We interact with other believers. And because we do, we see the good, the bad, and the ugly. This is true of your family as well. You see people that are experiencing spiritual victories, but you also see people that are making choices that are regrettable. You see people that are making choices that unconfessed, uh, choices that uh, unrecognized are going to be extremely detrimental. And we always have to keep in mind that when people sin willfully and without regard to the commandments of God and therefore a love for God, we've, we've studied this, uh, there are times, and I think about 1 Corinthians chapter 11, John, where people had disesteemed uh, the Lord's Supper. And the Bible says there are many weak and sickly among you and many sleep, many have died. So there, there are times when people die prematurely because they refuse to obey the Lord. So the Bible says, so if we are witnesses of other believers that are living in a life of sin, that in inviting uh, the, the chastisement of God, including uh, maybe even physical death, the Bible says, if a, if, a, if a brother see, if any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. So in other words, sometimes a person sins and God determines that he's going to chastise them in a way other than taking their physical life. And the Bible says part of a person's restoration involves believers praying for other believers. Exactly right, Pastor. We find that throughout the Word of God, how that the church is to be involved in spiritual restoration. And, and we know that the reason for church discipline is, is restoration. As Pastor mentioned, yes, yeah, sometimes God, because of a sin, and, and we don't know what a person's sin of death is, but some, we, we know when, when God sometimes they die, um, I mean, there we are, know it after the fact. After the, exactly right. After, after the fact. And I think even then, though, sometimes, Pastor, you know, we, we can't be dogmatic and say, well, God yeah, killed that, him. that person died because of their sin. Except for like Ananias and Spyro. We're pretty sure yeah. about that one. Without doubt. Yeah, yeah we know that beyond doubt. Uh, but I think how God wants the church to be involved in the restoration process. And that's what John's talking about here, about where community, uh, we, uh, John's talking about prayer. And part of prayer is praying for people when they sin. 
not that, you know, that God is going to, you know, condemn them and they're going to be punished, but that God will work in their heart and pull them back to the truth. God wants us to love people and pray for people. You know, sadly in the Christian, in Christianity, because Christians aren't perfect. I've been in churches before where somebody sins. It's almost as if people around are glad to see that happening because they want this person to be put out of favor. That is contrary to the law of God for the love that Christians ought to have. We ought to pray for people who sin and be concerned for them, much like Galatians 6 teaches us. Yeah, so there are several larger principles here that I think are important for us. Number one, what is your first response when you learn of somebody who's living in sin? Uh, Our first response, the Bible teaches, is we ought to pray for them. Jesus said to to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan desires to have you guys. But I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. So uh, prayer for people that are in sin, that ought to be our first response. And then I would say the second principle that I think is important for us to understand is that our prayer life needs to be more than the gallbladder surgery. It needs to be more than, hey, pray for my job interview. And, I, and I'm and i not against praying for those things. We ought, to, we ought to bring all those petitions to the Lord. But... But I wonder, when is the last time you just went to God about the sins of another person that were harming his testimony, therefore harming the testimony of the covenant community itself, uh, threatening him, uh, threatening maybe even his life? So there are some great principles here, uh, John. But then the Bible says in verse number 16, there is a sin unto death. So sometimes people sin in such an egregious way, and we don't necessarily, that's not always outward, because sin is a matter of the heart. Sometimes people sin in a way where God takes them home. There are many weak and sickly among you, many sleep. You know, God takes people home sometimes. I think about Achan. I think others in the Bible that God removed from this world because of their sin. And the Bible says, uh, there is a sin uh, unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. In other words, um, John is saying, I'm not saying that that we can change God's mind about what he's determined to do in chastising a believer. You know, so in other words, this is not a, a way to trump God's will, uh, I think is what John is saying. And I think throughout the Bible, how that we find sometimes, I think of Nineveh, where God's going to destroy Nineveh, but Nineveh repents and God forgives them. But there are times in scripture when God says, I am going to judge this person or judge these people and nothing that people, is nothing, nothing can be done about that. God is going to do that because God has said, because of their, you know, just their great sin, their egregious errors, I am going to judge them. It doesn't matter who prays for them, this is going to happen. Yeah, think about uh, Esau making such emotional entreaty to his father, but he could not come to a place of, he wasn't going to get that change of mind. I've made my decision. So um, there's a finality to that as well, and it ought to cause us to have a, a healthy respect for and fear of God. Yes. And that ought to be a, a remember the, the verse is written to believers. So even even talking about the prayers we have for others ought to be a lesson to ourselves to make sure that we are dealing with the conviction of God in our life. And we're making sure that we respect uh, that holy and just God. Look at verse number 17, a general statement, all unrighteousness is sin. Uh, uh, all unrighteousness is sin, 
and there is a sin not unto death. So um, to the hypersensitive conscience, reading verse 16, it'd be like, oh no, I've sinned. God's going to kill me. There's nothing I can do about it. Uh, I can't even get people to pray for me. God's saying, no, listen, every unrighteous act is a sin. And, and certainly there is a sin not unto death. Matter of fact, most sin is not unto death. So there is hope for unrighteousness living, and that hope is all the way back in chapter one. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, from that sin. So I think that's a, a needed clarification. Um, anything to add on that, John? No, that sounds great. Verse number uh, 18, we know. So there's our our recurrent um, subject verb throughout the, the book of First John, we know, we know, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. He that is begotten of God keepeth himself. He's going to guard his life. And that wicked one toucheth him not. So this goes back to what we said in First John chapter 3. This is not to say that, okay, I've been saved. I'm never going to sin again. If I ever sin, that means I'm not saved. That's not what the Bible's teaching. What the Bible's saying here is, as a general rule, hey, we're, we're, we're Christians. We're, we're believers. We don't sin. Who's ever born of God? This is not who we are. This is not what we do. Remember what I said back a few episodes ago? It's kind of like your family. You raise your kids. You know, our last name is Skelly, obviously. I'd say to my kids, well, we're Skellies. We don't do that. You know, we work hard. We're Skellies. Does that mean my kids always worked hard? Of course not. But it's a general statement of this is our identity. This is what we do. I think so much of how John from the beginning has dealt with fellowship, with having our sins forgiven, with being right with God, being right with each other, with having the right kind of love, with believing the right things about Jesus Christ. John has pointed out the idea of there are the children of God, there are the children of the world, of Satan. They are not the same family. And John's going to come back with some finalities. He wraps it up and say, don't forget the children of God they are not the children of the world, and they are supposed to be living as God wants them to live. Right. There ought to be a clear demarcation. Our, our lives ought to reflect on the outside what the reality is on the inside. Look at verse uh, number 19, and we know that we're of God. So as believers, we know that we're of God. And what else do we know? We know that the whole world lieth in wickedness. So one of the benefits of being a believer is that we have a perspective. We have a, the 50,000 foot view that, that, that the unbelievers don't have. And uh, we live in these three dimensions. They live in two dimensions. We, we, we see it. So that ought to drive us. Remember, John is writing from exile, in exile. John is writing from a place where he's been abandoned. He's been tortured. Uh, the Roman government is clamping down its grip on Christianity. I mean, these are dark days. And John is reminding his readers, listen, we're of God. We have a perspective. We have an eternity. We have a hope. And we know this, the whole world lies in wickedness. So it, let's not bemoan that. You know, when the world acts like the world, it shouldn't surprise us. Now, what John is telling us is when believers act like the world, that ought to surprise us. So let's keep the perspective in view, I think, is what uh, John is encouraging us to do. Yeah, John is. John wants to have confidence that we're the children of God. And he wants, as you mentioned, he wants our outside to match our inside so that our practice matches our position so that we have right belief that flourishes in right practice. Look at verse number 20. 
And we know. So there it is again. We know. We know. We know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know, that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So as John closes the book, he closes it with assurance and he closes it with assurance specifically about who we are in Christ. Hey, what do we know? We know God and we know who we are in God and we know how God has revealed himself to us in the son of God and he's in us and we're in him. And yet it looks like things are falling apart around us. And yes, it looks like we're the minority view. And yes, it looks like everyone thinks we're crazy and we're living in this little box. It doesn't make a difference. We are of God and we know God and he knows us. And a million, billion, trillion years from now, that's all that will have mattered. I think of John 17 where Jesus says, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Eternal life is knowing God. And the world does not know God. And John makes a big, a big deal about that throughout this epistle, that we as God's children, we know him. He is our father. And to think as John concludes this book, reminding us that God is our father, we know him, Jesus Christ, our savior, we can have confidence. That ought fuel any believer to walk confidently in Jesus Christ. I love how the book ends. Look at verse number 21, little children. And this is just such a fatherly, I picture an old man uh, about to die, you know, now whether or not he wrote this in, in exile on Patmos or whether or not he was still in Ephesus, um, I, I don't know, but, but I know he's an older man and little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. In other words, my last piece of advice for you is... If we're in God, if Christ is in us and we are in him, if this is all that matters, then guys, guard yourself from all the things that distract you from what is real. Guard yourself from all the things that would pull you away from what, what, what you have. You have a relationship with God through Christ. You have the word of God. You have the will of God. You have the plan of God for your life. You've got this one vapor life that God has given you as a gift to make a difference for Christ on planet Earth. Stay away from anything that would distract you from that because an idol is anything that would distract my attention and devotion from the God whom I'm to serve. I think as John closes, John reminds us that it does matter what we do. You know, it's not enough just to say I'm a Christian, how I live practically, what I do with my affection and my allegiance is extremely important in my Christian walk. I, I cannot be the Christian I ought be if I'm trying to say that I love God while at the same time going out and giving my affection, my allegiance to things that are against God. Mm, really good. And I hope that helps. I hope the study has helped. I hope that the uh, the book of First John has maybe a, a new uh, warmth for you. 
Uh, I hope that uh, some things that we have said have sparked some questions and maybe some further study on your part. Uh, but whatever the case, I'm so glad that you joined us and we're looking forward to jumping into a brand new book tomorrow. So hope you have a great day. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If Everyday Truth matters to you, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.